Well, it's a joy to be with you. And I'm a crier. So uh, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with that introduction. Uh, my father-in-law turned out to be uh, one of my closest friends in uh, his latter years. I've been married to his daughter 41 years, and uh, it's been a, a great journey. We have three children. They're all grown, five grandchildren. I only spent two years in Zanesville, but it was long enough to find a wife. So that was a good reason to come back from college. And I assisted with my father there for, uh, for two years. And that's where I met Chris. And then we received an invitation to go to Soldier. Soldier, you really can't find it, I don't think, on hardly any map. Just a little coal mining village uh, back in the 30s and 40s. It has some significance uh, in uh, the Smithsonian, there's a chunk of coal from Soldier. At one time, it was the world's largest stop coal mine underground. So uh, I'm not going to see that chunk of coal, but uh, I can tell you what's left. Uh, a few company houses that people have bought and remodeled into individual homes, and uh, it's just a small little town in Jefferson County, Pennsylvania. I'm about 60 miles from Happy Valley. <clears throat> oh, no. And it's real happy when the Buckeyes come and we beat them. But that don't happen too often. Uh, you all have a pretty good football team. But uh, we, we certainly uh, have a little rivalry because a lot of my, fa my wife's family is still back here. So we have a little rivalry. But closer than that is a little town that has a groundhog called Punxsutawney. And I live 13 miles from there. So that's about the best geographical description I can give you. I'm 260 miles from here, just a little over four hours. And uh, I spent the night last night in Coshocton. My son, who lives back where I live, uh, has a uh, land management business, and he's actually uh, this past year been taking care of a property for a client in Coshocton. He's here every three weeks. So I met him last night. We stayed at a bed and breakfast, and uh, he went to work today, and I came here to share God's word. Uh, we all know what happened in 2020, COVID came. And uh, I can tell you this morning, uh, Pastor Tony, COVID was good to me, or for me. Uh, I got very sick in October with it of that year. But uh, I live in a, in a pretty uh, tight state in some regards. And uh, we had just broke ground for a new family life center and uh, we were all excited about that, and uh, it, it's a miracle, the development that we were privileged to start the building on January 15th of 2020, and uh, we were just all excited, and March 14th, two months later, our governor shut churches and construction down. And I remember getting up that Sunday morning, and of course, the word at that very moment was a couple of weeks, and we'll be back to, to normal and back to routines, and so I remember... As I walked down that Sunday morning, I only live about a quarter mile from our church, and I walked down through the woods, and, and uh, I stood there and looked at those two-by-eights that were standing. A part of the structure had a second floor. None of the trusses were set. And uh, I began to cry, and I said, God, never would have started this if I didn't feel it's what you wanted us to do. And now there's no church, so there's no offerings, and how will we pay for it? And I remember just pouring my heart out to God. Weeks went by. Finally, with a waiver, our contractor was allowed 
to start, but no church. So I started church in the parking lot, and, and we had outdoor church, and, and people started driving in, and we did outdoor church. And uh, I, I was in a real dilemma. I had two men, good men, godly men in my church, one about my age, one about 10 years younger, but they've been with me for 20 years. One of them said, Pastor Kevin, if we don't go back into church, I'm not going to come back. The other one said, Pastor Kevin, I feel God wants us to honor our elected officials. What do you do, Tony? Flip a coin. Well, I, I began to dig deep with God. I said, God, I like this man, and I like this man. They're both brothers of the faith. They're both men that I have, have ministered to, and I've watched them grow. And, and God, what is it that we should do? group of young people, I saw quite a few young people in this section over here, a group of young adults in our congregation, said, Pastor Kevin, we've got to get back in. Our families need church. I called a Sunday night special prayer session. I knew what my decision already was. I wanted them to join and pray. And from that moment on, we had moved back in August of 2020. God continued to work and move. And one year, March 14, 2020, we were shut down from construction. And March 14, 21, we dedicated that new facility, completely done. God has been so gracious. I'm not going to give all those details, Tim, but we paid that building off $800,000 in 23 months. That in itself was a miracle. If you knew our little, com little community back there. But during that course of going deep before God, and, and I'm convinced that God had, had sent that to the world, but to this country, to shake we pastors up, to, to move our congregations. When you read and hear the statistics across America of how many individuals attend church, but their hearts are not really minding God and involved in doing all that they could for God. I believe God began to shake up the church world, and we're certainly seeing it happen as a continuation of that. We're seeing the church that really wants to be the church mindful of God and moving forward and doing great things. We're also seeing those that don't really have the burning passion for God. They want to be called church, but that's all. And, and uh, I'm so convinced there's no greater hour to be the church. There was a young couple that had just gotten married, and, and uh, it was the night of their honeymoon, and they were leaving the, the reception. He had reserved a special cabin out in, and in the country, for that first night of their honeymoon. And, and it, it was raining and foggy, and as he was making his way on a side road, they had veered off, and, and they had had an accident. Both of them were knocked unconscious. He just briefly. And he came to, and, and he looked over, and he saw his brand-new bride and, and could tell her injuries were more severe than his. He had no idea what to do, and he looked up, and he could see a light just, just within seeing distance and walking distance of where their vehicle had veered off. And so he gathered up that brand new bride of just a couple of hours and he carried her up to where that light was shining to find out that it was a doctor's house. On the front was a sign, Dr. J.A. Brown, M.D., the light was burning. And so as he had his brand new wife, he knocked on that door. An older gentleman came and opened the door. He said, sir, we've been in an accident just down the road from here. 
my, my brand new wife has some serious injuries, and uh, I see that maybe you can help me. Oh, son, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I've retired. I'm retired. He said, I, I don't think I'll be able to help you. And in frustration and in panic and in great concern, he said, sir, you have two options. You either help my brand new bride or you take that sign down. And church, that is where God has you and I in 2023 placed right here in Newark, Ohio for a special reason and a special purpose. And that is more than what the sign is. But if the sign is up when the world comes, they want to know that there's help here. They want to know that you and I have what they need to touch and change their life. We have the greatest message and the greatest opportunity to extend hope to every single hurting individual. Scripture I'd like to start with found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, and verses 25 through 37. If you've grown up in church, I do this Sunday at my church. There's weeks that I have people that it was their first time to ever walk into a church, and there's others that have been there for many years. Chris and I have been there 39 years, so we don't have too many left that were there when we started. We had a whole 10 people when we moved to Soldier. And thank God, he is certainly blessed. But I like to remind those of you who have been here with Brother Tony for 36, you're going to know this story. And maybe there's somebody attending camp meeting this morning that you've not been in church real long. Jesus Christ has been given a one-on-one -on -one opportunity to speak to a lawyer. The lawyer has orchestrated the conversation. The lawyer has struck a note of some interest in this man named Jesus. There's been something about him that's been intriguing. And so he has two simple questions. They're questions that are very noteworthy for every one of us, including this pastor, Pastor Tony, and maybe there's other pastors this morning. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, sir. Do this and you will live, or do this and you will enjoy eternal life. But the lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, with the most powerful story that portrays the responsibility of every one of us here today that calls ourselves a Christian or believer or whatever terminology you use. He said, sir, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him. They beat him, they departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, the pastor, was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, there was a Levite, a board member, deacon, chairman. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, I'm going to pause just a moment. Pastor Tony's probably covered these types of moments, but a Samaritan is a half-breed. Two different nationalities have married, and he's an offspring. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, he came to where that hurt man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn 
to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, sir, which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. I have found in our little community that God has brought so many people into my pathway and people from my congregation who needed a neighbor. We find that Christ was placed in a situation with two simple questions. They're great questions for us. I would assume at camp meeting most here have accepted the first question, what's it mean to have eternal life? A relationship with God. Sins forgiven and a walk with God. But then the next question the young man brought to Christ because he was looking for a little bit of an argument as well as the phrase justify himself. Well, I wonder, am I doing a good enough job? Or I'm wondering where I would stand. Who's my neighbor? Who meets the criteria to call him neighbor? And Christ expands in a very beautiful story. It will be any man or any woman, any boy, any girl that God brings into my and your pathway who has a need. When the church of Jesus Christ is keen to the needs of the culture and the community in which we have been placed, we can minister in such a special and unique way and touch lives that will cause them to hunger to know your Jesus, to know your God, my Jesus and my God. And so on this occasion, Christ points out, Sir, there was an opportunity for three. Two failed the test. Two had some reason, some schedule to keep. But the unlikely one was the one who chose to stop by and to pay personal attention. I like the things that transpired. One, he quickly began to oil, anoint, and, and whatever he could to the wounds themselves. But the next thing that we see that he did, he gave up his own personal beast, his own means of transportation. He gave what cost him, not what was convenient. And then I see that he even went the ultimate step, finding a location, an inn, a place of rest, leaving some upfront money with the promise I'll return if there's a balance on this man's medical bills. I remind my congregation back home, I remind myself, we live in the nation that possesses 10, 90% of the world's wealth by 10% of the world's population. What's that tell us? Well, one thing, we've been blessed, amen? amen. But secondly, those 10% with 90% of the world's wealth have a huge responsibility and that is finding who neighbors, finding individuals with need, individuals that you and I can minister to and reach out to and come in a special way and just say, I'd like to come alongside at my expense. I'd like to cover it at maybe even my cost on the tab. I'll give of some time. I'll give of efforts. I'm willing to be that person for the first neighbor who God brings into my pathway with a need. 
I don't know if uh, any of you, Pastor Tony may, but uh, I've been an advocate of Jim Cimbala's books and uh, my young associate pastor that works with me, he's been to Brooklyn Tabernacle now three or four times, just recently went up and did a weekend of street ministry. In his recent book, Fan the Flame, he tells a personal experience and a personal conviction. He said it was Easter Sunday and, and they run three services. So Easter Sunday, and it's been just a couple of years ago now, but it was Easter Sunday. He had preached sermon one, he had preached sermon two, and he had finished his third sermon. And he said, I walked over to the edge of the platform and he sat down at the edge and he loosened his tie and his top button and he took a sigh. I've preached Easter Sunday. Three messages, three crowds, and, and God had blessed and God had ministered. And he felt like it was time to just take a breather. As he was sitting at the edge of the, the, the platform, he, he saw uh, an older gentleman, at least it appeared, walking down the aisle. And the closer he got, he could tell he was very unkept, matted hair. Things were a mess in his life. The closer he got, he could smell sweat. He could smell urine. And he could smell that this man obviously had been sleeping on the street probably. And Jim Cimbala said, I quickly thought, okay, God, I know what he wants. He wants some money. And he said for this, those quick seconds, an usher brought him down the aisle. Okay, I think a 10 will work here. He said he reached into his coat and he... He leafed through and pulled a 10 out, and, and the man got real close, and he handed him the 10. And the gentleman took the 10 and handed it back. He said, sir, he said, I don't want your $10 bill. He said, during this service, I spent last night on the grate right outside the church on the sidewalk, but I heard this sermon three times this morning. And if the Jesus that you just preached about is who you say he is, I want him instead of your $10 bill. And Jim Cimbala said, I was so convicted on Easter Sunday and it preached the Christ of, of, of the cross and it preached the resurrected, all-powerful God. And he said, I offered him 10 bucks. And he said he needed my Jesus. Church, I want you to know where I'm at and where you're at. They may need $10 occasionally. They need, may need more, but they need our Jesus. And they need to see our Jesus in our lives in an exemplary way, in a kind way, in a compassionate way. They need to see the Jesus that we preach, the Jesus that we say is true. And when they see that Jesus, it will mean way more to them than the handout that they may also need. But the Christ has the power to touch and move. I found in my life what has done it for me in numerous times in those 39 years, one little church, the only church I've ever pastored. But in those years, and there's been some highs and lows, there's been valleys, there's been disappointments. But one thing every time, I would get alone with God and have an audience with God and say, okay, God, what is it you want me to do right now? What is it that you're asking me at this moment in my ministry, at this time in my life? What is it that you want me to expound upon? How do you want me to reach out? How do you want me to touch? And God is always so faithful. When we make time to be in his presence, he's so faithful to show us. I was honored in 1997. By the way, I'm just a country bumpkin, all right? I've never traveled a whole lot. 
And in 1996, a man who became my spiritual mentor as a pastor, he had come and held several revivals at our church. I met him in 1988. He was a godsend to Chris and I. And in 1996, he said, listen, I want you to come to Atlanta with me. I said, why do you want me to come to Atlanta? He said, there is going to be a gathering of ministers. There is going to be a four-day session of preaching three times a day at the Georgia and at the Atlanta Dome. I want you to come with me. And so he said, I've done something that you don't know about. I've asked your church to pay your bill. And so I said, well, I said, I'm, I'm in. I said, I'll, I'm, I'll be glad to go. So he was from New York, and he met me. We met up down there. I went separate. A couple of their younger ministers uh, rode with me. We drove, and uh, I met up with them. I'll never forget walking into the Georgia Dome with 45,000 pastors. It just was a scene I've never seen previous or probably ever will again until heaven. And I walked in and I looked around that massive dome. And of course, they had this nice stage set up like you all have on this platform. And, and, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, unbelievable. Second evening, Chuck Swindoll was introduced to preach the evening message. I'm sitting there with my mentor, sitting there with three or four other young pastors I knew that had traveled down with me. And uh, he asked us to open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. King Uzziah had just died, and God needed a spokesman, and it was going to be Isaiah. And he said, Isaiah, I need somebody who will pronounce my word. I need somebody who will expound upon what's taking place in Israel at this time and what God wants. And so while God has Isaiah's attention, God visits him one-on-one -on -one with the presence of God. You can read Isaiah 6, the opening verses tell that there were seraphims flying around, each of them with six wings. Two of them would cover their eyes and two would cover their feet and two, they would fly around. And they would call out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord most high. And in that Georgia Dome, he stopped in that message. And he divided us in half. And so, might not have been quite right to the number half, but as close as he could get us. 22,500 here and 22,500 here. And he said, let's just pause with Isaiah's scene and try to feel what it must have felt like. And he asked this half to cry out, holy, 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 Lord most high. And then he had this half echo back like the seraphims were doing in Isaiah's vision. And so for 30 seconds, 45,000 pastors, half of them would cry out, Holy, 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 Lord most high. And the other half would cry back, Holy, 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 I'll never forget it. As beautiful as that was, it'll never match 
the personal moment that Isaiah had. And that same is true for you today. Your personal moment with God can be an outpouring of just you and Him, taking in His presence, taking in His Spirit, and saying, God, I I just want an audience with you. I want to hear from you. I want to do what you want me to do. Show me yourself. Show me me, God. And that's exactly what happened to Isaiah after the seraphims were flying and, and the crying out, holy, holy, holy. One of them then soared down to Isaiah, picked up a coal from the altar and laid it on Isaiah's lips. And he says, now you have been purged. Your sins have been cleansed. And Isaiah says, oh, woe am I in the presence of God. Who am I? Look at my wretchedness. And then a voice, the voice of God, says this in Isaiah 6, 8. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, well, here am I, God. Send me. And God says, I will. As you and I at camp meeting and you're getting close to the end of your week, you've heard some phenomenal speakers. You've heard some phenomenal messages that have challenged you. If during my time with you this morning can do that, to continue that thought and that theme and that atmosphere that your ministers previous to this morning have been preparing and sharing and speaking touching your heart. Bring each of us, including myself, to the place, God. Here am I. Send me. Here am I, God. Use me. I heard the introduction about my father-in-law being a tractor puller. The man pulled in your state for 50 years. He has four wall trophies where he was puller of the year. All over the state of Ohio, I got to go occasionally. I was living pretty far away. I first met him. I wasn't into tractors. I didn't care that he pulled and that he was good, but it didn't take long to figure out that he was both. He pulled and he was good. He'd do them in his own shop, put them together. But I remember the day that he was scheduled to have open heart surgery in Columbus. Charlie had strayed from God for a while. And... uh, he had given his heart back to God and was truly being and doing all that God wanted him to. And I went to the Columbus Hospital, my wife and I, as he was preparing for surgery. And we had prayer together and a peace and a peace that he had. I was called one day before his final passing. My wife was out here spent the week with him. He said, Dad would like to see you before he passes. And uh, so I quickly put some things in order back home. My one son-in-law was going to travel with me, and we came back. I walked into this little, and Tim, they got a little simple house, didn't they? There wasn't a thing fancy about it. It was just a simple little Cape Cod kind of house. I walked in, and and, uh, they had set up a, a, a little hospital bed in the living room. I think he spent maybe three or four days in it. He, he kept so active right up to the end. But I walked in and said, Charlie, I said, I understand it's not going to be too long. And he said, no, they had had a daughter drowned at the age of two. He had her picture in bed. He said, I'm going to go see her tomorrow. 
said, I'm ready to go, Kevin. He said, why I wanted to see is do you think you can do my service? I said, well, I think I can, Charlie. But I said, I want you to know something. I don't know that I have what you have. He was at ultimate peace with God. He had replaced at that surgery in Columbus, I don't remember how many years prior, the four state polar, and I don't know what size they are. He had replaced those with the picture of a surgeon doing open heart surgery and Jesus Christ with his hands on that surgeon's shoulder. When he was at Mount Carmel, he felt he had that moment and that experience. My wife's one sister searched and found where Mount Carmel had that picture hanging in the hospital. It came from the state of California. When it arrived that year for Christmas, he took down the polar of the year and he put that picture up. Isaiah did the same thing. God, well, am I? I'm undone. I, I want to do what you want me to do. Nothing wrong with tractor pulling, nothing wrong with being good at it. But something else took priority. Something else became first in his life. And that's what God is interested in in you and I this morning. All he's asking is for you and I to say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Here am I, God. Send me wherever you want. Tony, I, Pastor Tony, I tried to watch as many of your services this week. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't watch all of them. But I would watch some of your introduction and listen to some of your speaker. My wife made this comment as she was watching the one. The greatest thing said this week was the home pastor at the ordination night. He said, I love the presentation. That young couple stood here. and I don't know, they may be here this morning. But as Pastor Tony exhorted them and you as a church, that our outside world would see, I think he even used the word smell and feel Jesus. When we sign up and surrender and put him first and say, God, here am I. God will use us in a mighty way. You can still be a tractor puller and love and serve God. You can be a truck driver, a farmer, a mechanic, a doctor, a nurse, and love and serve God and put him first. It was in about the second week of May, just two months ago, I was busy about something in my youngest brother. I'm the oldest of six. My youngest brother sent me a, uh, a video. His daughter was in Africa. She's a third-year nursing student at YSU. And uh, she had uh, signed up, much to her dad's dismay, not that he didn't want her to serve. He didn't want her to go to Africa. He wanted her to stay home where it was a little safer. And, and he said, I just really wasn't all sure about her going. But uh, she said, Dad, I want to go. Now, I don't know, but if YSU and, and PSU and OSU... Uh, they're not known for being missionary colleges, I, I don't think. Uh, at least back home, they're not. She, and I, I, I couldn't believe this video. I get this video. He said, she sent me this while she's over there. And here was this uh, a black choir director and about 30 little black children on stage and a little band kind of like this was and, and these children, and they were singing, Jesus loves me. And here's how they did it. It was like, Jesus loves me all of them in rhythm, and they sang. And then he sent me another one from another day, 10,000 Reasons. And I thought, this is not a typical YSU medical trip. 
And so I called him. I watched those two, and I said, listen, I said, I want to know more about Haley's trip. I said, that's just not the normal medical trip. He said, when she gets home, I'll have her call you. I talked to her last night on my way to Coshocton riding over just to refresh the time, but I had checked in back then. She said, when we got there, there was about 30 on the team. But the true part of what motivated this was one of her nursing professors at YSU is a believer and loves Jesus Christ. And this was her fourth trip to Africa. And uh, she takes as many that want to go and provides medical treatment to the school children. And they'll visit a couple of schools. But there's one school that stood out when they got there. Haley knew, I knew, this was not an ordinary school. This was different. And here every morning when they went to do medical assistance to the, the students and staff and the community there, she would have, the director would have these children sing every morning before they went out and did their medical assistance. And so when she got home, she called me and, and, and she told me the name. She told me who the director was. And Uncle Kevin, she's still living. I said, well, I would assume, no, you got to listen. She's 92 years old. I said, are you serious? So she gave me some information. I looked it up. Come to find out that not too many miles from Happy Valley, she, she grew up, she was a nurse. And at 63, she wanted to retire and travel the world. And Pastor Tony, I just got her, her book that she wrote just a couple of weeks ago after I learned her story. But just had the American dream retired at 63, successful in a few areas, and was going to travel the world. Got home from her first year of retirement, of traveling and seeing some nice things. And she has five grown children and, and quite a few grandchildren and some great-grandchildren. And she said, I, I decided I was hosting Christmas Eve. And she said, I looked at the vast amount of gifts that were in our home with our family being somewhat large. I looked at the meal that we had spread in the fellowship, and when they all left, by myself, she was a widower, by myself, I thought there's got to be more to life than this. And she signed up in 1996 to go to Rwanda, Africa. You know what happened there in 1994? It was a devastating uh, overtaking, a, a genocide a massacre, somewhere around 800,000 to a million people were slaughtered. Finally, refugee camps were set up. She went in 1996 at the age of 65. She went to be a volunteer. Thought, I'll give it a try. And this past January turned 92 and still there. She has started a Christian school she has started all types of relief program for refugee children and for individuals. And in her book that I've been working through and enjoying, she's now found great joy. I want you to know this morning, church, that Jesus Christ was kind of put on the spot by a, a, an individual called a lawyer 
He evidently had some intellectual abilities about him. There was some spiritual hunger there. But he said, I have two questions for you, Jesus. He said, what do I have to do to have eternal life? He was already well-schooled in it because he gave back the perfect answer. And Jesus said, that's great. He said, well, that part you added about love your neighbor as myself, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story that I read to you. Those two questions must be the burning question on each one of our hearts today. What about eternal life? And who's my neighbor? And when you and I have a burning passion to know God and look forward to eternal life with Him, He's going to place neighbors on your pathway. Somebody with a need. Needs of all types. Needs of all sorts. But will you, will I, be the one to step out of our comfort zone and say, like Isaiah did, here my God, use me. If that's what the church needs here at Newark, God, I, I'll do my bar, best at it. God, if that's what that person needs, I, I have plenty of it. I'll share some. God, if, if they need me to sit beside them while their loved ones pass, I'll help, God. God, here am I. Use me. I hope this morning God spoke to your heart and has challenged you to say, here am I. Use me. Brother? If you would turn to page 444 in your big book, please. Page 444. Rescue the perishing care for the dying snatch them in pity from sin and the given you a winsome spirit and a big dose of humility.
Now I know why his church has grown as much as it has. Because it was obvious to me this man has a winning combination. Could listen to him all night. probably one of the best messages of the camp meeting. And when he made the statement about that individual missionary looking at all the gifts and all the food living the dream She said, there's more to life than this. And there's more to life than the lives that all of us are living right now. And that more is is others. I think we're too deep in our own grooves with our own cliques and our own gang. And I think that prosperity sometimes is a big distraction in our lives and we miss the opportunity getting the message that Jesus gave us in the Good Samaritan. You'll never find the peace and the satisfaction and the contentment and the joy until we know how to get into the lives of others. Maybe a basic human trait Maybe a basic instinct, carnal. And we all want our moments. We all want to enjoy the things that we do. But Brother Brooks opened it up to us this morning. Others. That's where the end of the rainbow is. That's where Jesus' presence is. That's where the real joy in life is. It's just taking time to see others and to help them. Kevin, it was a beautiful message. And I'm sure everybody here agrees. They're spiritual people. I think that's something that we would do well to take a moment to pray about. Be it at the altar, be it in your in your pew. Lord, help me to see others. Others that need help. Others need to feel a human touch. 
world sees that in us, they'll see Jesus. So why don't we sing another verse? Try to broaden our perspective a little. Beautiful message. Hold on my heartstring the whole time. I needed to hear it. And I need to be around men like him. How many agree with that? Amen? Anybody else needs to pray? Come on. Unless Kevin has anything further to say. They are sliding here. Still he is waiting, waiting a penitent child to George, come on up and dismiss us, would you please? Jesus will Thank God for this wonderful message and the sweet spirit. Thank God for the camp meeting. It's been terrific. It seemed like Jesus just walked the aisles and walked the pews. Every service, his presence was rich in the singing, in the playing of instruments, in the preaching. We have truly been lifted up together in heavenly places. And I feel like I was lifted a little higher today. Don't run off if you don't have to. We got the meal prepared. And uh, let's have a good time of fellowship and food. That's part of being a winning combination. God bless you. Our Father in heaven, again, it's been a real pleasure to be able to sit and listen to the word. The ministry has spoke to us, and Lord, an old cliche is the ball is in our court, Lord. What are we going to do with it? And we pray you'd help us as we go forth the remainder of the day and the service tonight. Let us pray for those where request has come in, sickness, those that are unsaved, that dear ones have brought forth in the prayer meetings and at the altars. Help your children, Lord, oh God, we pray. Help us, guide us, direct us, bless the service tonight, give us the strength, bless the food we're about to eat and everything that's done, we'll thank you. We give you the praise. Help us to return tonight joyful and triumphant over things that we wasn't this morning because of the message. Help us, oh Lord, as we go. 
Jesus' name we pray and ask. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hey, before you run off, 